Today on Maine Calling, showcasing military voices on StoryCorps. If you listen to Morning Edition, you know that Friday is a day to look forward to. That's because on Fridays, NPR airs that week's StoryCorps episode. StoryCorps honors and celebrates everyday Americans. Its interviews are often moving, sometimes funny, and always make you think. Now StoryCorps has a new initiative called Military Voices, and its producers are coming to Maine to capture and preserve the stories of veterans, service members, and military families. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Maine Calling, we will talk with the initiative's executive producer about the project. We'll hear from a Maine veteran who has already taken part, and we'll talk more broadly about the impact these stories can have on the teller and the listener. Main Calling is just ahead. Main Calling On Demand is made possible by listeners and by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. And by Welch and Forbes, working with clients to manage the full range of events that come with building wealth. From investments to trustee services, more WelchForbes.com. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. If you are a fan of public radio, I'm going to guess you're also a fan of the Friday StoryCorps segment. A new StoryCorps initiative will help provide a platform for veterans, service members, and military families to share their stories. Joining me to learn about that is Hazel Diaz. She is a former Marine and the manager of StoryCorps' Military Voices Initiative. Also with me, Garrett Reppenhagen. He is a former Army Specialist, Executive Director of Veterans for Peace, and he has already been a participant in the project. We invite you to join the conversation. Would you be interested in telling your story? Do you know someone who Hazel just has got to find, got to talk to? You can call us and tell us why. Our email address, talk at mainpublic.org. You can post a comment on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. And a note, Maine Public will host a series of live events and virtual recording sessions for this initiative. And if you're interested, there is an informational event about it on Thursday. It's a lunch and learn event, and it's going to be March 9th at the AC Hotel. If you are interested, that's in Portland. If you're interested, please register in advance because space is limited. And then um, the way you register is an email a new a n e w at mainpublic.org. Well, thank you both for joining us. Hazel, tell us about this initiative. What was the thinking behind it? What have you done so far and and what do you hope to find here in Maine? Well, we're coming to Maine because we definitely believe that the stories of veterans in Maine and their families are very important to the national conversation and kind of the national voice. Um, as most people know who are familiar with StoryCorps, we really want to hold space and amplify the voices of different types of people in different types of communities. And that's no different with the Military Voices Initiative. Um, so this particular initiative, this kind of 2.0 initially, uh, years ago it started as a post-9-11 initiative. And in the last five years since I have been the manager, we've expanded upon 
just uh, interviewing veteran, post 9-11 veterans, and we're trying to be more inclusive to the entire military community. So that includes service members that are active, veterans, and also their families, um, because we know that serving in the military takes more than just a service member. Their family is there also serving in different capacities. Um, so we're really trying to be inclusive the military community and Maine is an important part of that conversation. So it's important for us to come to Maine and collect those stories while we're there. We're very excited to come to Portland um, and to virtually record with um, people all across the state. Well, we're going to start with a clip of a StoryCorps segment that's already happened, already aired. This is um, labeled in my little notes here, Flip and Christine Cuddy. Uh, Hazel, what do you want to tell us about this before we play it? I think that it really highlights and really illustrates the importance of family um, being part of the narrative for the conversations around the military experience. People that are serving, people who are in families, you know, in cohorts with people that have served in the military, they're also having an experience that's military-centric, and that's an important part of the conversation. And I think that this story in particular really highlights how even if you don't serve, when the people around you serve, when the people that you love have served, it really has an impactful, you know, um, trajectory to your life, and it really impacts the way that you view the world. So I think this is a great clip to kind of show that. All right, let's hear it. Mom basically was a trained killer. She's a much different parent than, you know, <laughs> someone who owned a bakery. As a mother, she was really unusual. She'd been through so much, teaching guys how to shoot, and it's like, what do you need to teach a kid? You know, yeah. go out and play. Yeah. She had, like, her own code, and if somebody was really an idiot, you know, she would say they were limited. That was one of her most heavy-duty criticisms. Yeah. She was tough. tough. As soon as they bombed Pearl Harbor, she signed up to join the Navy. She was qualified to go to officer training school, but because she was Asian, they wouldn't accept her. Mom said she didn't care. She enlisted anyway. Right. And, you know, then they accepted her. You know, it was a white world, and if you wanted to do anything, you just had to forge ahead. So she was the very first woman gunnery officer uh -huh. teaching air combat tactics. These ace pilots would have to come back for refresher courses. Mm. Well, she loved to tell the stories about when she would talk to these guys. I mean, she was a five-foot-one little Asian woman. There was one incident when this guy comes in and mom gives him the training. And, you know, she talks about when you're going to start shooting. So this guy goes, I'm not shooting until I see the whites of those Japs' eyes. She said, I don't care what you do up there, but when you're down here with me, you do what I tell you to do. Yeah. How do you want people to remember mom? Obviously, you know, when you're growing up, it's just your mom. But I remember after she died, reading her biography and just thinking, my God. I mean, how do you describe a person like that? who's a leader and successful at everything she does. But I think I also would just say to mom, what an incredible life you've lived. Well, I'm lucky I had a mom like that. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you for that, Hazel. I want to turn to you, Garrett Raffenhagen. You have also already recorded for StoryCorps. What was the experience like to tell a personal story for StoryCorps? I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, I'm a natural storyteller anyways. It's kind of my my go-to on how I entertain and I'm an extrovert. So 
I really, I really enjoy telling stories and, uh, you know, I enjoy telling stories about my military experience. It's, it's therapeutic for me. It's, it's a form of confession. It's a form of making, uh, these, these things that happen to me tangible so I could dissect and look at them in different ways. And also, you know, some of those stories are not as light as the one that I recorded with NPR. And some of those tragedies can be catharsis and, uh, it, it allows a larger audience to kind of carry the weight of them a little bit. So it's just not on me. Let me ask you this, Garrett. There are, as you well know, many, many people who have served, especially in combat, who have no interest in talking about it. What do you say to them? Would you encourage them to take part in this? Well, I encourage anybody to take part. Obviously, if, if folks don't want to do it, you know, they shouldn't be pushed into a situation where they're uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's it's not for everybody, but... You know, there's other ways you can do it. You can journal and write write things down. Uh, you know, you could you could do poetry. You could do other things that are personal to you, songwriting and other things. And I think those are good mediums as well if you're a more private person. Um, but this is a great way to to share those stories, and I think it it's it's very beneficial. It's it's been beneficial for me at least. And what are you hoping, Garrett, that listeners will take from this, especially listeners who do not have a military background or a close family member serving? Well, the I think the, the reality of military service needs to be put out there. And um, there's, there's nobody who served has a monopoly on the military experience. It's different depending on when, when you served, where you served, what your role was. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very different. So, you know, the, the realities of that service should be out there wider, especially to recruitable aged, uh, um, you know, young people in, in our country should know what military service is, what it looks like. And every little detail, every story, every perspective creates a, a fuller picture of what that looks like. And uh, there's a larger divide between civilians and military at this point that the least percentage uh, is serving right now in our, our military per capita in, in, in America. So that divide is is getting broader between folks who understand the military service and those who don't. So um, really, really getting that perspective out there, I think is key. Hazel, you're a Marine yourself. Have you experienced any surprises recording these stories? Are there, are there any perspectives that you think, boy, I hadn't thought of that? I will say it's actually the family members um, because uh, myself being a veteran and working with veterans for over a decade, um, I've heard a lot of stories and that kind of conversation has been a regular part um, of my life before I started doing story court interviews. And I have to say that really speaking to the spouses about um, the struggles that they were uh, facing during their partner's time in service and how they had to find services for their children, how they had to adapt to being in a new place without their family, and, you know, also helping their children adjust to their partner being away for, you know, sometimes just a couple of months or weeks of training and sometimes for a year or more. I mean, um, the experience that, you know, uh, their children, service members' children are having with their parents out and, and kind of even seeing their dad as, um, a person and then kind of shifting that perspective and seeing them in this, you know, authoritative or um, even like this really like powerful role um, and the shocking, you know, part of that growing up and seeing that kind of like duality within your parents. Um, I think that definitely the family stories have been the ones that have 
really surprised me the most. But I did want to add something to the earlier conversation because with StoryCorps, at the end of your interview, this is a public service. This program is uh, sponsored by uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and it's really trying to um, give veterans, service members, and their families a space Uh, to tell their story in whatever capacity they want to. They're not obligated to share their story. They can, uh, very often that kind of puts people at ease that are a little bit on the fence. Um, They don't have to share their story. They decide at the end of the interview, and even if at that time they're not comfortable, they can take more time, uh, and they don't have to necessarily share the interview with us. I have to say that, you know, more often than not, people do. They they usually say, oh, that wasn't so bad, and, you know, it wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. But it does kind of put them at ease, letting them know that they don't necessarily have to share their interview with the public. If they don't feel comfortable with sharing their story, they can record with us, and we'll give them the recording, and we'll delete it. It won't be part of our archive. It won't be archived at the Library of Congress. They'll be the only ones with the copy in StoryCorps. Um, we'll delete uh, our audio file. They'll just get the email, they'll get the audio file, and it will belong to them if that's what they want. That's that's really interesting. So the belief here is that the the power is not just in making it public, but there's great power in just talking about your story. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that it's cathartic for a lot of vets that find it difficult or even service members or family members that find it difficult to talk about um, certain times of their lives. And sometimes, you know, most people that serve only serve for a few years. They don't do it, you know, their entire lives. Um, Sometimes people just haven't made the space or the time to have a conversation about that particular chapter. Um, And, you know, there are things that they decide oh, you know, enough time has passed, or I really did want to talk about this, or I really did want to ask my my parent or grandfather or neighbor about this specific time for them. Um, And it's, you know, it's a powerful and really connecting um, experience for a lot of people, because I think we all have, you know, thought that we want to have specific conversations that we want to go deeper with people, but we don't really sit down and make the time or it's difficult to schedule or we just never get around to the conversation. This kind of quiets a space for people to come together and really, um, you know, have a deep, impactful and meaningful conversation. And Hazel, how many interviews have you done so far? Oh, my goodness. Um, Personally, Uh, Well, you personally and the and the and the (laughs) initiative, but the initiative does we 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 have 150 interviews a year, typically um, about 150 interviews a year. And we go to three separate locations. We're coming to Maine this year is one of our um, locations. And we do about 50 interviews at each location at three different locations. So another clip that we'll be playing later, Alan Ho, he is in Hawaii. And so we were able to um, connect with him while we were there after, you know, to talk to him about other stages of his son's life and and kind of the impact that this story has had um, and and StoryCorps has had on his life, you know, since um, the year since he recorded the last viewing and that segment aired. Um, So, you know, we we go to three different – usually they're in different regions. We don't like to – be in the same region 
more than once in in a cycle. So this year we're going to be in Alaska, we're going to be in Maine, and we're going to Georgia. But last year we were in Hawaii, so we connected with Mr. Ho, and we talked to him about, you know, not only his experience, but kind of what his life has been like after that. Okay, Hazel, we'll talk, as you mentioned, we will talk about that story a little bit later on the program. On the line with us now is uh, U.S. Senator Angus King. Senator King, welcome back to the program. And I understand you have also been working with Maine veterans to help share their stories. Tell us about that project. Well, Jennifer, I felt like I was back on Maine Watch uh, uh, doing the interviews that that you and I used to do uh, some years ago. There's a project, uh, a similar project to what you're discussing today at the the Library of Congress. It's called the, the Veterans History Project. And so over the last year... I've been doing interviews uh, with Maine veterans, basically just to get their stories. Uh, the first one was a, with a fellow uh, who has since passed away, unfortunately, but he, he had been in World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. I mean, it, it was just an amazing uh, story, Carmine Piccarelli and, uh, up in Belfast. So anyway, these interviews, uh, I just wanted you to know, number one, that they existed and that they're they were uh, the, the the stories were just great, and people can find them. Uh, it's a it's the easiest website I think I've ever seen. Loc dot gov. That stands for Library of Congress. Loc dot gov. And if you go to uh, Veterans History Project, you can find uh, the interviews of the main veterans and and lots of others from across the country. Uh, it's a great way, and I applaud what you're talking about today to preserve these stories. Uh, that otherwise would be lost or would be passed down within families, but not not shared with the rest of us. Senator King, I'm wondering, and I'll ask you the same question I asked Hazel, after you do these interviews, have you ever been surprised? Have you ever come away with a different perspective than you did going into that uh, interview? Oh, absolutely. And, And one of them, one of the, uh, one of the interviews that I did was with a fellow in Portland who had been a, a, a an aircraft maintainer for the Air Force. And we were talking about veteran suicide, which is a huge issue. And he suggested, he said, look, I think if you did an analysis, if the Pentagon, if the Defense Department did an analysis of the occupations in the service of the people that are committing suicide, there might be a pattern. There might be something that would help us to deal with this problem. So three months later, I submitted an amendment to the National Defense Act uh, that was uh, that was in the law that was put into the law last year to make that to do that kind of study. So that was an example of where I learned something in the middle of an interview that I didn't anticipate and then turned around. And and now it's uh, it's uh, it's actually uh, happening. But a a lot of the stories were were really amazing. And uh, some women veterans about the experience that they had uh, back before people were really paying much attention to the issues of of uh, sexual assault in the military. but uh, yeah, each interview was was a was a new story. Uh, the story of, of uh, two veterans in Maine, Gary Crocker and Peter Mills, who were on two different ships in Vietnam, and a missile went by both ships. Uh, so we had two guys from Maine who didn't know each other at the time, who were in harm's way at the same moment. They found out years later. That's the kind of story that came out in these interviews. Well, Senator King, as always, thanks so much for joining us. That is Senator Angus King. He serves on the Armed Services, Intelligence, Energy, and Natural Resources and Veterans Affairs Committees. 
We do need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Our topic today is a new StoryCorps initiative to help veterans, service members, and military families share and preserve their stories. With me, Hazel Diaz, who is a former Marine and the manager of StoryCorps' Military Voices Initiative, and Garrett Reppenhagen, a former Army Specialist, Executive Director of Veterans for Peace, and a participant in the StoryCorps Initiative. Share your comments and questions. You can send us an email, talk at mainpublic.org, comment on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. On the line with us now, Travis Mills, retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant and recalibrated warrior. Also, of course, founder of the Travis Mills Foundation. Travis, can you hear us? Welcome back to the program. You know it. Thanks so much. How are you today? I'm terrific. It's so nice to hear your voice. You know, we're sitting here talking about how important it is for people to tell their story, Travis. And you sure told your story. You wrote a book, um, which I highly recommend. What did that mean to you to not just go through the experience, but to share it with others? Well, you know, I I was... uh... I've been pretty fortunate with my injuries where it doesn't bother me. I don't have any uh, issues with what happened to me to the point where I let it affect my morale or things like that. And I think people draw strength from that. They, they really want to find out how I'm able to keep pushing forward. And I thought, well, if my story can help and I get paid to go around and actually speak at presentations, um, or give presentations at conferences all, all over the, the nation and sometimes outside of the States um, that, you know what, maybe I should just uh, share my story so that people can know that no matter what they go through, they can they can push forward. So that's why I wrote the book. And, you know, New York Times bestseller, Tough As They Come, and I'm very proud of it. So today we're talking about a new radio initiative, a StoryCorps initiative, uh, that's going to be here in Maine, encouraging veterans, military families, and service members to tell their story. What would you say to someone who maybe um, hasn't ever done something like this? How powerful is it to share your story? Well, I mean, we have our Warrior Path program that is about post-traumatic stress, and we bring people from all across the nation. We try to stick in New England because there's 10 locations. And you never know what someone's going through, and you never understand how your story might positively impact somebody to speak up, reach out, get help, and do things that um, maybe they didn't know they could do or find strength, whereas I feel like my story, um, sometimes I didn't realize how impactful and powerful it was to people going through, um, you know, tough times. So I would encourage everybody, you know, if you're comfortable, share your story, know their strength and, um, and, you know, letting people understand you and know you better. And I highly encourage it because you don't know what someone's going through. I, I go and I speak to audiences, you know, thousands of people um, a week, really. And maybe they're not, you know, they weren't blown up. They weren't injured like I was, but they fortunately um, can relate to me because they're going through cancer. A loved one was bankrupt, um, going through a hard time with finances, um, things like that. So if there's a chance for you to share your story, um, just know that the positive impact that you could have on someone else's life is it's, it's a major thing. And it's something that could be, you know, very helpful for somebody else to know they're not alone. And I think it's a great thing, that um, you know, sharing stories. And before we let you go, give us an update on the foundation. How are things going? Foundation's going well, you know, very proud. We got the wellness center done. Um, we're still bringing families in, and it's it's going really tremendous. So if everybody wants to come check us out, you know, find us on travismillsfoundation.org, 
um, come out to the open houses and community events, and we can't wait to uh, just show everybody everything we have going on. We're very grateful and thankful for everybody's support, and uh, we're going to keep giving back to these veterans and, and helping them understand life goes on and keep pushing forward and to never live life on the sidelines. Travis Mills, retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant, recalibrated warrior. It's hard to say. I know you made up that term, Travis, but it's hard. Recalibrated warrior, and he is the founder of the Travis Mills Foundation. It's always a joy to hear from you. Also on the line with us now, Jonathan Bratton, who's a main, the Maine National Guard historian. Um, he is also the U.S. Army Center of Military Histories Scholar-in-Residence he wrote the book, To the Last Man, a National Guard Regiment in the Great War. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. And um, as a military historian, I'm guessing that you, more than anybody, want to make sure people's stories get recorded. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Jennifer. It's great to be on again. Um, speaking from the historian perspective, I can't emphasize enough just how vital it is that we preserve individual stories. Yeah, we, you know, in the Army, we've got all sorts of reports and records, but that doesn't tell the full human story of what happened uh, in, a, in a conflict or even in a non-conflict environment. And so for people who think, well, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't in such and such a big battle or, you know, my service isn't important, I want to say it is important. We want to capture as much of that as possible because you never know when a historian is going to look back and want more information about the thing that you lived in. So I, I really want to uh, exhort people to take advantage of this program as much as possible to get uh, friends in, get relatives in. And then if you yourself have served, please tell your story. Uh, the historians of the future and the present will, will really appreciate it. What strikes me is I know if you're studying um, wars past, conflicts past, you're often looking at letters written to loved ones. That doesn't happen much anymore. So radio, perhaps, or just an audio recording, even if it's over something like Zoom, is in a way a, a letter of the present. Absolutely. With different forms of media disappearing and new forms of media that are kind of hard to capture. It's really hard to go through and get a bunch of Facebook posts as a historian if you're gathering information. This is a really good way to supplement, um, again, to get that personal aspect because uh, the, we, to understand war, we need to understand the human dimension in order to you know, keep it from happening more. Uh, and, and really those, those stories really help people connect and understand uh, the people around them, and then those who are serving their nation and, and what they sacrifice. So they're, they're so vital. And what advice, before we let you go, Jonathan, what advice would you give to someone who's listening today thinking, maybe I'll share my story, um, maybe not, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I don't want to go there, maybe I don't want to think about that? Sure. It can be very, very hard uh, to share a story or also if you're the person who's interviewing someone um, and asking them to be vulnerable uh, and, and open up possibly a side that's difficult. I would say just be honest. Do Say as much as you can, but also treat this as a moment to pass your story on, uh, to make it live you know, longer than yourself. This is, this is leaving a mark on history. And then also it's, you know, the things to talk about, tell the funny things. <laughs> it doesn't always have to be the heavy things. Tell the funny stories. Tell the things that stood out to you. Tell the things that made an impact on your service. Because odds are those are probably the things that people are going to want to hear down the line as well. And, and in advance, I thank you for, for sharing your stories or for gathering stories. 
Jonathan Bratton, thank you so much for calling in. Jonathan is Maine National Guard historian and the U.S. Army Center of Military History's scholar in residence. Hazel, what would you like to add to what Jonathan has to say about um, what to think about as you think about what story you want to tell and how to tell it? Important things that Jonathan mentioned was the people who are going to be interviewing um, their loved ones, you know, the, the service members and veterans. I think that that role is equally important. And I want to just really mention um, that that can also uh, cause a lot of anxiety because people are, you know, afraid uh, of what to ask or asking the wrong thing. And if you're, you know, wondering if you could, if you should invite someone that you know. And to have this conversation, I would say, um, to really set some, you know, boundaries before going into that situation and just ask um, before you kind of put them in the hot seat what they'd like to talk about, what they don't want to talk about. I mean, that's usually the best place to start. I always suggest to, you know, to kind of let the person interviewing them know what they don't wish to discuss during the conversation. And I could not agree more um, with, with Jonathan's point that there's, there's funny, you know, all the stories don't have to be sad. There's funny stories and there's a whole bunch of things that happen in the military that really build, you know, on humor and camaraderie. And, and there are other great things that come out of that, um, not just grief and pain. Um, for example, Garrett's uh, interview was about, you know, Halloween costumes that he uh, enjoyed doing in groups and by himself and pranks that he did while he was in service. I mean, and Garrett's seen a lot of things, and, and he carries a lot of things from his time in service, and he still chose to. And he's a great storyteller, so he chose to really share, you know, um, several types of stories. And, and we really appreciated that, um, that he kind of put some humor in there as well. Yeah, there's more than just pain and grief, and, and you can share that too. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for saying that. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. And and. Garrett, I want to ask you how you did your interview. Did somebody interview you? And if so, who was it? Well, Hazel interviewed me first. Uh, I was living in Colorado at the time. And, uh, you know, she flew out with a team and did some interviews uh, at a public library. Um, and uh, it was it was a pretty good space. And um, I don't know how many interviews she did that 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 week, but I was one of them. And uh, then later on, I was brought back in and re-recorded the interview uh, via Zoom with uh, with NPR again. So uh, there was a couple of different stages to it. All right. So you weren't one of the people where it was your brother or your mother or your friend who interviewed you. You kind of just told your story with a professional interviewer. Yeah, I, I had known Hazel before for professional relationships. And gotcha. uh, so so she knew me. So there was there was kind of already a connection. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, well, we have a caller. We'll go to Nauto, who's calling from Kennebunk. Go ahead. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call and a um, little bit. Uh, I am not a veteran, but and I have never called in um, in a program like this. But I, I was uh, uh, quite struck by uh, your program currently about the storytelling, and I just wanted to share this uh, documentary that uh, Taylor Gringager has produced called Hell or High Seas. He's a Navy veteran who um, made an epic journey from Galveston, Texas, down to Cape Horn in a sailboat to find him. uh, His uh, PTSD uh, solution has started 
uh, healing sailing program called Skeleton Crew uh, that helps out uh, veterans and EMTs with a PTSD by taking them out to uh, uh, for sailing trips. And, mm. and the, I encourage everybody to watch Hello High Seas to realize that uh, military population is a minority in, in, in our country, and they are struggling with uh, over 50% of their friends and families have a suicidal thoughts every day. And I actually flew out last weekend to meet Taylor and his partner, Adam, to see uh, to California to see how I might be able to help out with, uh, because I think the majority of us, including myself, was totally ignorant of the fact that how much of a struggle they're going through. So thank you for... Yeah, thank you for for calling in and recommending the documentary Hell or High Seas. We have an email here from Bill. On behalf of my late dad who served in Europe, can the few remaining World War II military veterans contribute to this? If so, how are you specifically reaching out to them, many of whom chose not to share? And Hazel, I guess that's a question for you. Are you specifically reaching out to World War II veterans or or not, not? Uh, yeah, we have had um, a kind of targeted campaigns to really uh, bring in older veterans, and sometimes they don't even make it into the booth. We had a young lady who came in, made an appointment with her dad in Pensacola, um, and their interview was on Wednesday, and he actually passed on Monday. And she ended up coming in anyway with her sister, and they honored him um, in telling his story that way. But that is a great point. Uh, our virtual platform has made it easier for those interviews to take place uh, because sometimes they have mobility issues or travel is a challenge for them. And uh, we're very lucky now over COVID, uh, we were able to develop a virtual platform. We used to do all of our interviews in person. So this virtual platform, this virtual option, you know, allows their children and grandchildren to kind of go and visit um, their loved ones and record in the same space. Um, so that they don't have to deal with the tech if they don't want to. They can still record and and they can still um, give us permission to archive that interview at the Library of Congress. So it's definitely been super helpful in reaching those communities. Um, So I'm very excited about the virtual platform. I think it's been a great addition and one of the, you know, silver linings of of the the pandemic um, was developing this platform and really having this availability to a a broader audience without having to bring people in physically anymore. Are you interested in taking part in one of these StoryCorps interviews of military voices? If so, here's your chance to ask Hazel or Garrett a question about the process. The phone number 1-800-399-3566. Or you can send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org or find us on social media. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You are listening to Maine Calling. Today on the program, a new StoryCorps initiative to help veterans, service members, and military families share and preserve their stories. My guests, Hazel Diaz with StoryCorps Military Voices Initiative, and Garrett Rappenhagen with Veterans for Peace, whose story aired on NPR nationally. Join our conversation at 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email, if you're quick, 
to talk at mainpublic.org. And again, if you're quick, you can tweet at Maine Calling or post to our Facebook page or to Instagram. Hazel, we're going to hear another clip. You started to talk about this one a little bit before. Set us up for this story. Well, I love this one. This is probably one of my favorites. Um, this interview is between um, Mr. Alan Ho, his son. He's a Gold Star father, and his, so his son um, passed away in combat, and he uh, ran into the nurse, the trauma nurse that um, helped his son at the end of his life. And it was a very serendipitous moment in Washington, D.C. Uh, she was from um, the she was from Maryland. She was from the D.C. area, and he was flown in from Hawaii uh, for a special event. And they just happened to run into each other, um, and it was a, a really beautiful moment um, for the two of them. And it was a little funny too. It was it's a sad story, but um, there's a little humor and sweetness, and it just really paints the picture of, you know, human connection and how we're just, you know, so connected to the people around us sometimes in ways that we don't even know. Um, so I love this story. This is, this is a great story. And, and Mr. Ho is an amazing storyteller. Um, he came back last year and did an interview with the same nurse again, and he talked a little bit about his son's early life. Um, so if you are, love this story and you want to learn more, you can go to storycore.org. And um, you can look into our National Archive, um, and you can look up Mr. Ho and hear his most recent interview. He was talking about the early stages of his son's life and when he was a, a small child. And it's a very, very beautiful story. He's a great storyteller, okay. but this one is one for the books. Okay, so let's hear it. I thought it would be great to welcome these young trauma nurses with some special Hawaiian lei. And I saw this army uh, nurse come walking up the path. And I said, here, this is a special gift from me to you. And she put her head down so I could put the lay over her shoulder. She noticed the button that I was wearing on my chest. And she just put her finger on it. And she said, I know him. I said, how do you know him? He was my son. And she said, I was the trauma nurse at the crash unit where he died. And she said, I will never forget that face. Both of us kind of looked at each other, and we started crying, and I gave her a big hug. But I could sense that something was bothering her, and I thought she may have sensed that my family might have been disappointed at the fact that our son, his life could not have been saved. And I said, I want you to know that my son was a warrior. He absolutely recognized all of the risks that were involved. She cried and she said that as the head trauma nurse, one of her tasks was to prepare his body for his men to have a last feeling. And she said that she tried to close his eyes, but as she went to press his lids together, they always would come open just a little bit. And she said that had bothered her all this time. And I, I looked at her and I laughed. And she kind of gave me this puzzled look. And she was like, I'm curious now, why are you laughing? And I said, my son would sleep with his eyes partially open. His men, when they were in combat, they were never certain what they could do when the lieutenant was sleeping because they never knew if he was sleeping or he was just awake watching what they were doing. And I said, the simple fact that you shared that story with me totally convinces me now that you were with my son 
at, at the end. Now, I never have to wonder about those last final moments. Oh boy, hard to stay composed after that. Um, we'll go to a call. We'll go to Sam in Portland. Hi, Sam. Go ahead. Hello. How you doing today? Great. Good. Yeah, I just happened to be going driving through Portland and uh, listening to the station, and uh, then all of a sudden realized it's about veterans. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I was in Vietnam in '69 with the U.S. Army with the 82nd Airborne, the 199th Light Infantry, and. Um, Locally, I belong to a group called Vet to Vet, which is one veteran visiting another veteran. Ironically, the vet where I was heading to, and I'm sitting right outside of the facility, is the veteran that I visit probably every seven to ten days. And I won't mention his name because literally everybody in your audience would probably know who this guy is. And uh, he's a 96-year-old, a very prominent person from Portland. He and his wife, uh, she's 93. Uh, living in an assisted living facility in Portland. And uh, I just wanted to tell you, audience out there, is, is this thing called Vet to Vet, which is one veteran visiting another. It's just local, well, somewhat in the state of Maine. And we need more met- veterans to visit. We have a lot of veterans that would like to be visited. They might be in a nursing home. They might be at home and uh, need somebody to come and visit them. And uh, it doesn't it have to be Vietnam Veterans is a Second World War veteran, which my guy is, and uh, veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, type of thing. So I just wanted to introduce your audience to this uh, group called Vet to Vet. Sam, thank you for talking about Vet to Vet. How, how does someone get involved if they want to? The best thing to do is go online and uh, look up Vet to Vet. All the information you would need is there, and uh, including emails and contact uh, names. And uh, I've been involved with this for probably seven or eight years. This is my third veteran. This is the other two are uh, are deceased. And uh, there's over 100 of us, uh, uh, males and females. We do have females involved also because there's a lot of female uh, veterans out there also. So it's a a wonderful group and a necessary group, believe me, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the best things I've ever done was being involved in this group and, uh, like I say, uh, uh, the veteran I'm going to go to visit here momentarily inside is uh, a character. And uh, like I say, I, I can't give his name because every, everybody would know exactly who, not exactly who he is, but uh, they would know, a lot of people would know of him anyways. Well, Sam, thank you so much for calling in today and have fun this afternoon. Um, I'm going to go to uh, Larry, who's calling from Brooksville. Hi, Larry. Go ahead. Hello. How are you? Great. Good. Uh, I, I see that we're running out of time. I'm a 30-year retired uh, science and technology teacher, and there was a time when I, I uh, worked with a, a, an, uh, an English teacher, and it was an activity to uh, integrate technology into the classroom. And uh, we had the the kids go to their eldest uh, in their family, and you know how all families, I don't know about nowadays, but all the elders had uh, photo books, uh, photo scrapbooks. 
Well, the idea was that each one of those pictures had a story. That's the old saying. Well, we had the kids go, and back at the time, it was with uh, little cassette decks. But nowadays, you can use your cell phone. Uh, And as they sat with their grandfathers, uh, grandmothers, and looked at the book, each each, uh, grandparent uh, would tell the stories, and the kids would record them, record their voice. Then we'd bring it back to class. We'd uh, digitize the pictures in the scrapbook and have the digitized pictures and the audio clips, put them into a slideshow like PowerPoint or Keynote and uh, produce a, uh, 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 a slideshow that we could record on DVD that would be the modern day uh, photo album that would include not only the pictures, but their loved ones' voices to go along with them telling the Larry, story. Larry, what a, what a wonderful project. Did you have uh, students who did interview people who had served in, in the military? Uh, there, were, there were quite a few that had uh, uh, their elders were, were part of the military uh, and uh, told stories of, of some of the pictures were of them uh, in uniform and uh, a, a few had pictures uh, abroad and terrific so 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 heartwarming to to know that uh, they could have not only the pictures but you can't pass around you can't give copies of the scrapbook to family members because uh, the pictures are one of a kind so by doing it and recording it digitally that way it, you could pass on the voice of their of their loved ones and the stories that went with the pictures there. And it, it uh, told the story of, of, you know, when they served and, and that's great. Larry, thank you so much for calling in and sharing that experience and sharing that idea. Hazel, Larry was talking about um, the concept of capturing the voice and um, you know, there's a lot in somebody's voice. I couldn't agree more and really um, the emotion that is behind these stories. A lot of um, our participants haven't actually shared these stories with a lot of people or sometimes for a really long time, we were talking about World War II veterans and older veterans um, that, you know, we're losing every day. There's less and less of them. Uh, A lot of them, you know, they served during a time where, People really didn't talk about their experiences, and some of them have never really told their family what they experienced or um, even ever shared it with anybody outside of their unit or outside of their military friends. So it's really um, an emotional experience, and it's archived at the Library of Congress. So in 100 years or 200 years, you know, somebody connected to the service member or their family can look them up and, and hear this story in its entirety, the entire 40 minutes without being cut, without, you know, any segments being made, Um, just their story in their own words and their own voice, um, as long as the Library of Congress stands. So it's it's really a magical um, uh, uh, option for people that do want to share that story. I want to try to get a couple emails here, an email from Alfred. Alfred would offer a good story of our service and marriage. Now, 55 years, my wife and I were both Air Force medics. So Hazel will make sure and get you Alfred's email address. Also here, an email from George. I'm actively serving overseas. Can I participate if I'm still an active service member? 
The answer is yes, correct? That's correct. Uh, as long as you have somebody with internet connection, you can totally hop online and do a virtual interview. That's an option for you, um, thanks to the to the new uh, COVID Connect um, software and platform that we have. It's very similar to Zoom. You just hop in. You can see each other, but only the audio is recorded. And sure. so for Alfred and anybody else that wants to participate, definitely jump on StoryCorps.org or the main public radio website. Um, we have a landing page on there, and you can sign up for any time, virtually or in person, whatever works for your schedule. Uh, that's at StoryCorps.org um, or main uh, public's. Um, I think it's mainpublic.org as well, isn't it? Yes. And then an email here from Bruce. Would you welcome two real stories? One, the experience in the brig of an enlisted man who went AWOL when manic for the first time, or the consequences of the conversation between a friend and his retired general father about fleeing the military and going to Canada to avoid deployment in Vietnam. So, Hazel, these yeah, are not... absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, they, we don't only welcome traditional military stories. We really want to amplify the voices of service members and really talk about how that looks like a lot of different things. So sure. we do welcome those types of stories. I think that a lot of people think that we're after patriotic stories or, you know, there's a duality sometimes between loving your country and serving it um, that sometimes doesn't always, you know, mesh uh, 100%, you know, in, in a kind of a synchronous way. Some people um, during the summer of unrest around George Floyd, uh, a lot of veterans came and a lot of people of color, a lot of black veterans, African-American veterans came in and talked about loving their country and sometimes feeling like their country wasn't loving or serving them. So there are a lot of difficult conversations to be had. Um, and yes, we welcome those stories about mental health, about um, the brig, about um, being patriotic and sometimes not feeling like um, that love is reciprocated. So yeah, we, we welcome those challenging conversations. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. Just a few seconds, Garrett. But I wanted to ask you, what has the um, what kind of feedback have you had since your story aired on NPR? Uh, people seem to love it. Um, you know, they love they love hearing the humor and in a different side of military service that's that's unique. A lot of mm -hmm. people uh, come to me, ask me for additional stories. And, you know, my my wife and I, we own a gelato shop called Freya's in Rockport, Maine. And uh she says I run the gelato counter like a bartender because I'm always telling stories. <laughs> well, we're going to share your story on Facebook. So I want to thank you both for being with us. Garrett Reppenhagen, a former Army specialist, executive director of Veterans for Peace, a gelato store owner and a participant in this project. Hazel Diaz, the manager of StoryCorps' Military Voices Initiative. If you're interested in the lunch and learn about this project right in Portland on Thursday, send an email to anu, A-N-E-W, at mainpublic.org. Today's sound engineer, K.G. Akimaladun. Main Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you have been listening to Main Calling on Main Public Radio.